Welcome to Bible Study Today. This is Len standing in for Nick and we're commencing today a new series of studies and I think you'll enjoy these very much. Now we have a panel of four including myself and I'm going to let the panel members introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Stephen, and it's been a long time since I've been helping out with the Bible study, but I'm really glad to be here with you guys this morning. And we're glad you're here too, Stephen. Yes. Good morning, listeners. It's Ken here. Happy to be back, back again on the panel and, and really enjoyed the day. I'm Brenton, and um, it's my privilege today to be able to be the moderator for our discussion for today. Before we begin our discussion, which is actually on the subject of creation, I'm going to ask Len if he would ask God to bless our study today. Thank you, Len. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to not just study your word, but to share your word with those who are listening. We pray that those who hear this program today might um, realize that you are the mighty God who created this world who cares for each and every person. We pray that the Holy Spirit might uh, reach the hearts of people and use us as we present your word today. We invite your blessings in the name of Jesus, our dear Saviour. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. The very first verse of the Bible uh, makes a particular comment. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that statement alone is, is rather an interesting statement. Is, is there any comment on that? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't give any um, additional information. It simply makes a statement. Well, it, first of course, identifies how this earth came into being. Yes. That it was God who made it. Now, of course, there are other theories around that it came into existence on its own, but the Bible says, no, that's not the case. Mm. An intelligent, powerful being named God created this earth. Steve, have you got any thoughts on the matter? Well, it's I've been, a profound statement, actually. It's a huge <laughs> one, um, and it, it does have huge ramifications, because, yes. of course, if God created it, then he's going to have an ongoing interest in it. Mm -hmm. um, it's like when I make something, if it's halfway decent... Um, and if it's not halfway decent, it ends up in the rubbish bin. But if it's halfway decent... I'm finally I'm, involved. <laughs> yeah, I'm involved in it. I'm intrigued by what's going to happen to it. I'm going to put it on the shelf. I'm going to look after it. I'm going to take an interest in it. And I think that is all implied in the text. Mm. And, and the other thing that I find interesting, it says, in the beginning. Yes. When was the beginning? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, some of the listeners might be quite interested in this particular aspect. In the beginning, when was the beginning? Well, nobody knows for sure. But um, there are a couple of ideas around. One is that the earth is very, very old. Mm -hmm. But um, all indications are from scriptures that the earth is relatively young. And... Um, there have been suggestions that the world is maybe six to ten thousand years old, but there are scientific um, there's scientific evidence to say that the Earth is younger rather than older. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Len. That's a good point. How many of you have heard of the ruin and restoration theory, Steve? I'd imagine you would have heard of it. 
you might need to explain it. I'm not sure of the uh, the ruin and restoration <laughs> theory. If I could put it in very simple English, some theologians suggest that the earth, when it says God created the heaven and the earth, there was actually probably multiple occasions before that where there were uh, creative attempts, and then a cataclysmic event, and then it had to be recreated again. It's almost as though some theologians are saying that God took a while to get it right but this doesn't suggest that at all it simply says God created the heavens and the earth yeah. it seems to suggest one go he created the heavens and said it was good finish well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly simple sort of a guy so I just go God created it and I'll live with that I won't worry about all the other arguments yeah. about length of earth and all the rest of it I'm just happy to go with it God created it mm. some guys have that gap theory of course between yes, verse 1 and verse one. 2 mm-hmm. that's the one that I'm most familiar with I'll just stick with what the Bible says and I won't argue about time and all the rest. I'll just go, and God created the heavens yeah. and the earth. Thank you, Steve. That works for me. Ken, have you got uh, any thoughts on the matter? Yes, I, I think it's really interesting that it says in the beginning, and I think my understanding belief is that this is the beginning of our creation, not the universe that's out there, that where God lives. Mm, I think that's thought. been on the go forever yes. and ever. So this is the beginning of the the life of mankind and, and uh, our universe as we know it. And as Stephen said earlier on, if you make something that's really uh, nice and interesting, you do tend to love it, take care of it, have an interest in it, and look after it as God does for all people in this world. Len, any other thoughts on it? Well, Particularly the thought of looking after the earth, which is a very hot topic with many people these days. Well, I don't think I can add much to what's already been said about that. <coughs> but when God made the world, as we'll discover soon, he didn't make a botch of it mm-hmm. because he um, pronounced what he thought of it um, as recorded in Genesis chapter 1. So when God made the world, he made a good job of it. Thank you. The days of creation, uh, how many of us can actually recite exactly what took place on the days of creation? What was the very first one? Let's have a look in our Bibles at verse 3. Uh, Steve, could you read verse 3 of Genesis 1 for us? Perhaps? Sure. <coughs> verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Uh, keep going. You might as well finish the first God day. saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Mm. Any significance in the order, we would probably say morning and evening. We would. This is evening and morning. (laughs) Any significance in this? I've always found that very interesting, because as human beings, we always, as you said, that uh, we believe our day starts during the morning, but if you read the scriptures, it makes it very clear that the day begins in the evening. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting. I, I don't know why, to be honest with you. Mm. Well, at least um, there are markers for the day. Evening, the day starts at evening and finishes the next evening. At the moment, in, at least in this part of the world, we have artificial markers like the day starts one second after midnight. It's still night, but uh, at least when there were no clocks around, Mm. God made the day to start in the evening rather than the morning. Mm. Mm. 
Thank you, Liam. That's a good thought. Here's another good thought to think of as you look at the days of creation. Wherever it says there was evening and morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, etc., it is always talking about a 24-hour period. It's not talking about some vast indefinite period of time. Mm. The Hebrew was quite explicit on that. <laughs> yes. I think actually just thinking in that for a moment, Brent, and something's just popped in the head. Sure. And that yeah, is the fact that as, as we know from studying the scriptures, God always does good for mankind in the beginning and gives them everything before things may change. So perhaps mm-hmm. the evening, he created that first because that's our rest time. Mm-hmm. Just maybe. Mm-hmm. Ken, that is a good point. At the end of each day of creation, and I'm not going to go through all seven of them because if we did, we'd take the whole of the time up just going through the seven days of creation, including the seventh one, or the six days plus the seventh one. What did God say at the end of each day? And God saw and and pronounced it good or very good. Yeah, thank you, Len, because the very last day, he doesn't say good. He says it was very good. Good. Very good. Now, I want you to think just for a minute outside the square on this. Um, Steve, you made a comment earlier on when you make something, if it's halfway decent, you're involved. You want to stick with it. Mm. If it's not halfway decent, throw it in the bin and let's start again. Yeah. Here God is saying it is very good. And what is the very next thing that he does after that, after stating that it's very good? It says in verse 31 of chapter 1, Uh, God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day and then you start chapter 2 which says thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array and then it goes into chapter 2 verse 2 and it starts to talk about the Sabbath yes yes yes. Len you I want to uh, present a different idea here this last week I made a guard to go around a newly installed reverse cycle air conditioner on our house and instead of having the exterior unit sitting on the ground we have it mounted to the wall but there's a path that goes just underneath and there's yes. a possibility if yeah. you're a bit dreamy or something you could bump <laughs> into it so I made this thing out of two pieces of solid 10 mil bar and when I started it and I bent the uh, metal up, it was good. I could see that it was good. By the time I'd finished it, painted it, and mounted it, it became very good. In other words, it was a work in progress until the very last thing. Yes, then I could say it was very, very good. good. Um, thank you, Lee. That's a good idea. I want someone to read verse 26 for me because this is an intriguing verse. Chapter 1 of Genesis and verse 26. Len, would you like to read that one for us, please? Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And verse 27 too, please, because there's an interesting point here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now what is being suggested here? First of all, let's have a look at verse the first verse that you read, verse 26, where it says what? Let us, plural... 
Yes. Make man in our image. Yes. But then in verse 27, it goes singular. So yes. God made man in his image after his likeness. Can you see both the plurality of the Godhead mentioned here, but also the Godhead operating in unity? Yes, I think that's a good point, and it's a point that must not be overlooked. Um, there are people who have this monotheistic idea in as much as they say God is only one. Mm -hmm. But the Bible here at this point suggests that God is more than one without identifying the separate members of the Godhead. Mm. It's a bit of a complicated one, isn't it? It's like he is one, but he is more than one, but he remains in his unity. Mm. So we go, we're yeah. monotheistic, but we have God as a as a plurality of one, if that makes mm. any logical sense. Mm. What I like about this passage is it starts with kind of a plural feel, yes. and it ends with a kind of a plural feel, mm -hmm. because it says, at the end it says, that he makes the, they ma he makes the man in his image, and he makes the man male and female. Yes. So you go yes. from God as a plural, yeah. to God in singularity, to him making humankind in singularity yeah. in his image, and then in plurality in yes. his image. So the reality is that whether we're male or whether we're female, we are both in God's image, and yet there's a sense that male and female are kind of one as well, which is probably something worth exploring. I, I think that's a pretty good thought, actually, Steve. Um, the suggestion by the writer of Genesis, and of course we believe that Genesis was written by Moses, the suggestion is that in writing this, Moses is reflecting on the fact that it was always God's intention to have male and female. It wasn't some sort of afterthought. Because if you go through the other days of creation and you have a look at the animals and that sort of thing, there is a sense of reproductivity mentioned in, in those particular things. Now, one of the things that God said to them um, that we need to get to um, is down in verse 28 and sorry Len yeah, you're just, ready to go <laughs> uh, just before we do this I've been interested in the debate between intelligent design or creationism as it's sometimes referred to and evolution here in the Bible we read that God made the male and the female yes Okay. Evolution doesn't do it that way. Something made some changes on its own, and where male and female actually came from, as far as I can understand, is not explained in evolution, but the Bible says God yes. made male and female. Mm. Also in verse 25, before we have a look at verse um, 28, and... The, um, the responsibilities that God gave to uh, mankind is a simple verse where it says after his kind now if you study carefully what after his kind means it actually does away with the possibility of evolution because evolution isn't after his kind evolution is a development from a lowest um, primordial soup to something more um, extensive whereas this says that each thing whether it's animals whether it's fish whether it's birds, whatever it happens to be, even human beings would reproduce after their kind. Len, I think you were going to make a comment. Well, uh, I'm glad you picked that up, um, Brenton. It says kind and not species. Correct. For example, within the cat family, you've got lions, tigers, pumas, cheetahs, leopards, 
pussycats, lynxes, and a whole lot of things. And Canis familiaris, the common oh, everyday yeah. cat. Well, <laughs> a normal pussycat. Normal pussycat. <laughs> um, it's the cat is a kind. All the various types of cats are a kind, not a species. The Bible doesn't say God made them after their species. He says kind. Thank you, Len. Okay, Steve, did you have any comments in the, This is very profound stuff. <laughs> um, the more you look at it, you realise it. I'm just a little bit confused. Can you just clarify it again then? So, um, what's... Uh, just, I'm a bit slow here. What's the difference between a species and a kind again? I just didn't quite catch it. Well, all the cats oh, belong to a kind. That's right, yeah. And each individual different type. Pumas um, and lynxes and whatever they are. Each of those is a species within a kind. Oh, I see. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. No, thanks, Len. You've done that very well. Okay. Uh, then you go down to verse 28. And, Ken, could you read verse 28 of chapter 1 for sure. us, please? And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And, and this is where God is speaking to the man and woman. Yeah. It used the term them. Them. Spoke to them. Mm. Okay. And what was the command? To uh, Let's go back through it. Yes. The first thing? Well, the very first thing is to be fruitful. Yes. Okay. And multiply, in other words... Reproduction? Uh, re, re, reproduction, okay. yes, of their kind. Now, what, notice, um, Steve, can you read the next couple of w words? I think it's fill the earth, am yeah, I right? Fill the earth and subdue fill it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, now here's a word, fill the earth. Today, one of the key issues that we talk about and that global world leaders talk about is overpopulation. <laughs> when, I, when I ever read this, I only saw this this morning, I thought to myself, God intended that the earth be filled. He didn't intend that the earth be overfilled. Now, that's interesting because that can apply not only to human beings, it can apply to animals, can apply to anything. But uh, so today, so many, sorry, <laughs> uh, Len, <laughs> so many species... <laughs> are on the verge of extinction <laughs> that you sort of almost have an inverse situation mm. applying here, don't you? Yes, yes. Um, God, in this verse, tell, uh, we are told in this verse that God presents mankind with two responsibilities. Mm -hmm. One is to reproduce. The other is to care for the environment mm -hmm. that God made man as the custodian of everything else that he had made. It seems a little bit funny where you can read the expression to rule over it. That doesn't mean to say just dominate, but man is responsible for the care of everything else, all the animals and birds and whatever. We are to be the custodians of this planet that he made. It's like delegated authority, isn't it? It is, so, Steve. Um, and how successful or unsuccessful have we been in the delegated authority that we've been given? Well, we've had some successes and some <laughs> failures, I guess. Um, but I guess what I'd say is God gives us 
that's how we created in his image, right? The reality is it's a functional thing. And yes, so God yes. gives us um, the capacity to create and the capacity to care and rule and mm-hmm. look after. Mm. And that, that reflects his own capacity as a creator and a carer and the ruler of all creation. And he says to humankind, okay, now this is your spot. This is your responsibility. Mm. So we need to look at it in the terms of if God was running the show here um, and the delegated authority that he'd mm. given to us, mm-hmm. how are we going to behave? Mm. So we talked before about the things that we make and how we take care of them. The logical thing then is that if God has delegated us this authority, then he wants us to care as well. That's a good point. Isn't it interesting that to none of the other things, animals, birds, fish, did God delegate authority to rule or care for? Now, that is very significant. Tell you why it's significant. Something just crossed my mind. Today we hear things such as a person goes in the sea, gets attacked by a shark, mauled by a shark and uh, dies and they say, oh, that's their domain. We're entering their domain so therefore we have to um, abide by their rules. If I go out into the jungle that's full of lions and tigers and that sort of thing, someone's going to eat me. Um, Now, (laughs) this suggests to me that mankind was to rule over all of creation. So therefore, the responsibility to not only look after, um, but to maintain it is, as you said, Steve, very strong. And there's another point there. It said to, I had it written down here in my notes, I wanted to share it with you. It's the word um, shamar. Um, in some versions it says when God put man in in the Garden of Eden he was to dress and keep it do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. the word shamar means to guard, to watch to preserve Yeah, that's the Hebrew I've got a yeah. note at the bottom of my Bible what which goes say? along that, with that and it yeah. says um, as God's representative in the creaturely realm he is steward of God's creatures. He's not to exploit, waste, or to spoil them, but to care for them and use them in the service of God and man. I love that comment. So, so it's great. the idea of rulership isn't um, to wave the big stick, it's to rule as a steward. Yes. Uh, and you can, there's lots of stories in the New Testament where <coughs> Jesus talks about how, uh, well, not lots, but there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus talks about how the, the rich man goes away and he leaves his servants as the stewards to look after it. Yes, yes. Look That's after true. his property. Yeah. Len? You raised a very interesting point, Brenton. I've never thought about this before. You said that God never made anything else, none of the other created things, to to take on this responsibility. And I was thinking, why? Um, there seems that there is a difference between man and animals, that man has morality that God has placed within mankind a sense of right and wrong, whereas it seems to me that animals don't really have that sense of right and wrong. They have more of a sense of um, what's convenient for them or what's not convenient for them. So because of that moral responsibility, man, therefore, has been assigned to take care of the planet. 
Mm, okay, Ken. Brenton, I, I just want to go back a little bit on yeah, that sure. subject well, about the shark. Means. Uh, Sorry, made, I was only using a simple illustration. <laughs> no, no, it, it doesn't really matter if it's a shark yeah. or, or mm. tiger or snake yeah. or what it is. But uh, if we understand that that mankind was given the opportunity to uh, to look after all these beings, and we might. I don't know, we might touch on this later on, but in the beginning, of course, the uh, animals weren't meat eaters. So we could have easily, back in those, uh, sorry, back in Adam's day, uh, I'm sure he was, there might have been lions and tigers around his garden and wouldn't have there to eat them up. They were just animals like we would have pussycats. And the same thing with uh, sharks in the sea. Uh, I'm sure they could have went swimming and it wouldn't have been any trouble because sharks didn't eat meat either. That, that may well be true, but I, I read verse 24 and it says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures yes. that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. Mm-hmm. Wild doesn't sound too tame. Well, <laughs> <coughs> let's yes. not get into the dinosaurs. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just an observation. Yeah. No, no, thank you, Ken. And um, as Dave as well, um, I want to look at a word also here that God actually said to them. He used the word subdue. Have you got that in your Bibles? Mm-hmm. Now, subdue, what does it mean? So I did a little bit of research. What I found out is it means, amongst other things, the right to utilise resources, agriculture, mining, scientific discovery, geographical research, mechanical invention. <laughs> I think it broadens our minds a little bit when uh, you almost get the impression, if you read it wrongly, when you read this word subdue, you could almost get the impression that God's saying, they're a pretty well bunch down there, you better get out there and subdue them, sort them out. But in this sense, I don't believe the word subdue means what we normally think of it as meaning. I suppose that all those things though, must be done in a sense that we are stewards. Yes. So in the way that we do those things, we need yeah. to do it in a way that is going to be beneficial, not just to yeah. ourselves, but yeah. to the but to the yeah. globe at the same time. Yeah. Can someone read Genesis chapter 4 and verse 23 for me, please? Steve, could you read that one? Sure. Us, thanks. It's not, it's not directly connected with our study for today. However, it is important because it talks about a certain person. Called Lamech. Hmm. Yeah, Lamech said to his wives, um, pardon if I get the pronunciation wrong. No, no, verse 22. Did I say verse 23? Yeah, oh, sorry. sorry. Verse 22 is the one sorry. I want. Okay, well, it kind of applies as well. If I, get the mis- if I mispronounce, I no, apologize no, no, in no, advance. No, but Zillah also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Naamah. Now... Without getting into the genealogies of all of this, this is this is absolutely intriguing. It suggests that this guy, who's not very far from Adam, this is Cain, the one who killed his brother. This is his wife's son, in other words, his son. Pretty into smelting, iron, and bronze, and that sort of thing. All of the things that we talk about that took place in the Industrial Revolution, you seriously ask yourself the question. There was a book put out a few years ago called Secrets of the Lost Races. I don't know whether anybody's ever heard of it. They have actually found objects in various parts of the world made of certain metals that they cannot reproduce today by metallurgy. In other words, there must have been a time when there was sufficient skill and knowledge in society to be able to do these sorts of things. So what verse 22 is doing, Steve, I believe, is is backing us up that when God said to subdue the earth, to use it for the benefit of mankind and the benefit of the animals. Len? 
you've really sparked something of great interest to me. Have I? <laughs> yes. I, um, as I said before, have been interested in the debate between creationism and evolution. Evolution teaches that things are on the improve. According to what I read in the Bible, things are devolving rather than evolving. And I see it a bit like this in the reference that you gave here about uh, Jubal Cain, that man in his original state was noble and probably bigger and more intelligent than mankind today. And so I don't see that as a surprise at all that um, these objects were made out of metal. Mm. Thank you, Len. That's a, that's a good point. I'd just like to <clears throat> add as well, Brenton, and that, that if you look back at the uh, remains of some of the buildings from the very, very uh, beginning of time, the actual building in them is absolutely amazing and how they put all this stuff together and the alignment of them, you just if some people think, oh, they're very simple back in those days, but I think, as I think we agree today, they were very clever people, a lot more advanced than what people believe they were. Mm, thank you, Ken. That's very interesting. Um, I don't know whether any of you have heard of, heard of the Piria-Rees maps. Look it up sometime. It's most interesting. The Piria-Rees maps were found a couple of hundred years ago, but they actually show, um, shall we say, the geography of the world in, in global terminology. But what they do show that's particularly interesting, they show the, the continent of Antarctic or Antarctica as being ice-free. Wow. Now, that's rather interesting because we have never known Antarctica to be any, any other way other than covered with ice. But they have already discovered in those parts of the world, they, if you dig down and you take core samples, which they do all the time, you will find that they have already discovered that there was a time when conifers, for instance, were growing in the Antarctic where possibly large parts of the what we know as the ice continent today were covered with forests. Well, apparently there are. they have found coal beds. Correct. And What do you need for coal? Yeah, to have vegetation, of course, and lots of it. Mm. Mm. And the other thing also, apparently, Brenton, uh, <coughs> uh, I believe the uh, desert as well used to be forests and things, so... Yes. So yes. It, uh, the earth is definitely yeah. not the same today as it was yeah. thousands of years ago. Yeah. You can go into caves in the Sahara Desert, I believe, and you can see, just like we have cave paintings here in Australia done by uh, Aboriginal folk, wow. uh, you can find over there pictures of lions and other animals that no longer <coughs> live in the, the barren parts of the Sahara Desert, but once upon a time, obviously they did. Okay. So, all right, moving on anyway. So God made the world, he made it perfect um, because he wouldn't have said very good so that's that's pretty important but then something went wrong we go to chapter 3 of Genesis now we all know the story of the fall to some degree but I want to reflect on the fallout of the fall perhaps would be a better way of putting it rather than just reflecting on the fall um, Steve could you tell us the story of the fall up to verse 5 in very quick <laughs> oh boy okay so um very quickly. In other words, summarise. <laughs> essentially, um, God had told um, the first man and the first woman they weren't to eat from a certain tree. Mm -hmm. um, and Is that a big deal or not? Um, 
Well, I guess if God tells you to do something, it's going to be a fairly significant deal, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. And the first man and the first woman, to cut a long story short, um, are tempted by the serpent who is in the tree, and they eat the fruit of the tree, and with the result that um, they disobey God, and there are consequences for that disobedience. Okay, thank you. I think you've summarised that pretty well. Let's have a look at verse 4, though. Just go back, uh, seeing you uh, commented on that, Steve. Could you read verse 4 and yep. 5 for us, please? So verse 4 and 5 say, mm. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm. Now, what part of this was correct and what part was not correct? Or was it... It's well... It's it's diabolically cunning the way it's it's actually stated. Well, what always amuses me about this story is that, um, um, well, amusing is perhaps not the right word, but it's the best word I can think of at the moment. Is that it says the serpent said to them, "For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil." Well, the, what is what is well, what amuses me, suggest- of course, is that they were already like God; they were made in His image. So the, the great irony of the situation is that he 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 waved before them a bauble that they already had. Good point, good point. Some of you may not know that uh, the Hebrew for in this you shall not surely die it simply says this. It says you will positively not die. It was the very first lie that was ever told. Mm. If you want a New Testament equivalent, think in terms of things that Jesus said where he often said, verily, verily, I say unto you. Mm. That's the, the New Testament equivalent of what we're studying about here. Len, I can see you. Hmm. Have yes. a comment. A lot of people have uh, asked, why would God do something like this? Why would God place a restriction on the first people he had ever made? Well, I think there's a very simple answer. When we go back and we learn about what happened with Satan in heaven, Satan, it appears, accused God of being a tyrant. Hmm that people had no choice but to serve him, otherwise he would zap them. God, in making planet Earth, I believe didn't make it just as a physical thing like I made that air conditioner yes, protector. Yes, yep. mm-hmm. He made it with love. And to, pr- to test love, if there is no t- uh, alternative, it's not love. Mm. which is what Satan was accusing uh, God of. By placing an alternative so that man would choose rather than have no choice was a test of their love. And unfortunately they failed. They failed to obey God and um, show him his allegiance. They believed somebody else. They lost their rulership over the earth Satan then became the prince of this world and there's been trouble ever since Hmm. an inspired writer made this comment and uh, I would like to share it with our our listeners it was God's purpose to repopulate heaven with the human family if they would show themselves obedient to his every word now that's a fairly profound statement it suggests two things. It suggests that when Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven, there was no possibility of return. 
but also suggests that God had another plan. The plan was to repopulate heaven with human beings. The thing is, God doesn't need a plan B because plan A will come into fruition when the second coming takes place and where God repopulates heaven with the human race who are saved. Is that good news or is that good news? That's good news. (laughs) Brent, I'd just like to add something on that. Uh, Just going back to uh, that verse for a moment. Um, Yeah, sure, Ken. And that is when the people, uh, when Satan tempted people, said you will know uh, good, good and evil. I think that's really an interesting little part. Sometimes maybe people don't realise that before that happened, they only knew good. And what did they know? They afterwards? didn't know about evil. It didn't exist. I think that's really interesting. Little, can, I find it. Can that's that's point. very good because what did they know afterwards? They only knew evil. Evil. How do we know that? Look down in the chapter a little bit further. Len, uh, perhaps if you could read for us, we'll go down to verse 7. And this is where it all starts. Basically, the rest of the chapter is almost like a a recitation of a train wreck. After they had disobeyed God, and they took the fruit and ate it, it says in verse 7, Genesis 3, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. And they so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So after taking the fruit, mm. and remember both of them took the fruit. Yes. Eve was responsible for um, giving the fruit to her husband, but he still had the power of choice. He could have said, no, I'm not going to eat it. You know what it is. You know we were told not to eat it. But he went ahead and ate it. But what is the very first consequence? They suddenly discover they're naked. Well, it's separation, isn't it? So yeah. They're putting barriers, is, is, the, is what's going on here. They're putting barriers between themselves and between themselves and then between themselves and God. Mm. So Where the, do we the clothing symbolises the barrier that's now, yeah. cr- that's now being created. So the, the, the impact of, um, of disobedience to God, or sin if you want to use that word, which probably is a better word to use in many respects, is that there is a barrier now between people, which is going to have interesting implications for our very, stewardship of the earth. Very, very. Read verse 9 for us, please. Verse, uh, verse 9 10. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. So what do we learn from those couple of brief statements? Once again, there's, there's a barrier now. There's a barrier where there wasn't one before. Yep. What else do we learn? Did God really know, not know where Adam no. was? Which no. tree are you hiding behind? Are we playing hide and seek here? Well, I guess it, it, it emphasises the, the, dis, the disconnect. Where yes. are you? Yes, um, that's what yes, it's doing. I believe so. Um, the fact that they hid shows that they were full of shame for what they had done. And this has other implications. Sin brings with it shame. Whereas when somebody does what is good and right and proper, there's no shame. Mm. But sin brings shame. It does indeed. Let's have a look at verse... 11, 12 and 13 Ken could you read those for us please sure starting 11 Mm. and he said who told thee that thou was naked hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat and the man said the woman whom thou givest to be with me she gave me the tree and I did eat 
in the next one too. Thanks, Ken. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The servant beguiled me, and I did eat. Okay, so what do we learn from those three yeah. verses, Len? They're passing the baton, aren't they? <laughs> the blame game. Yes, the blame game. Is the blame game still applicable in 2019? Or still well, in? it keeps going. It keeps it, going. It mm. keeps going. Somebody does some horrendous act, and they say, well, I was drunk at the time, or something, or something, effective drugs, and they yeah. don't take responsibility but um, and this has been going on ever since this time that we've been recording about. Yeah. Do you find anything significant about the statement, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat of? See how God connects, um, shall we say, he connects this tree that he told them not to eat of with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting from the fact, of course, that God comes down and, as we said, he, he doesn't have to go looking for them. He knows exactly what they've done and where they are, but he's wanting to see what their um, uh, reply is going to be to his questions mm. and why they have done it. Okay, that's a good thought. Do we adopt the same policy with our children? Did uh, you uh, do such and such? I told you not to do it. Did is that what you did? Yes, I, I think... You tell if, me in your own words what happened. <laughs> well, yes, yes, that's so true. I, I think if you if you care about your children and you discipline them properly, you will tell them um, not to do certain things. And if you do certain things, there's consequences, mm-hmm. some of which may not be very nice. Did they know the consequences of eating the fruit? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Let's they knew what, what it was. But go God back in to asking... God, in asking that question, who Mm -hmm. told you, gave an opening for them to admit that they had done wrong. Yes, that's good. And I think this is good practice with our children. When they've done something wrong, it's not, I told you that you shouldn't do this. The question should be, why have you done that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And and that provides an opportunity to face up to their, uh, whatever it is they've done wrong. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Can someone go back to verse 2? I know we're backtracking a little bit, but this is such an interesting chapter that we need to to have a look at it. Um, verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2 says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Okay, thank you, Steve. And if you read verse 1, there was a question asked by the serpent. Yes. What was it? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, Steve, you've done legal studies at one stage. Mm-hmm. So training to be a lawyer, didn't you? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Five years. <laughs> <laughs> Without going into a great deal of detail on, on your legal background... Isn't it interesting? Um, you can watch this on television shows, but you also see it in real life. Those of us who have actually sat on a, ju- a jury, and um, I've had the privilege of sitting on a jury, often you'll find the solicitor representing the accused tries to make the witness disbelieve what they actually saw. Now, what's actually taking place here is very similar. There's an insinuation here. Did God really say? Mm. Can you, did you catch that? Lee? Oh yeah, yeah. They're trying to. He's trying to create doubt. Yeah. Did God really say? Well, well, yes, he did. 
which and kind of <laughs> emphasises the fact that she um, and Adam and Eve cold-bloodedly ate the fruit. It does suggest um, that it wasn't that yeah. there was no. There's no room for doubt that God, whether whether God said not to do it or not, in their minds, they knew full well that in eating what they ate, that they were um, doing what God had particularly asked them not to do. So, in the cold light of day, they went ahead and did it. Is that's, that fair? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Len. Well, there's further <coughs> implication here. Mm. Um, if, for example, somebody in authority says that you must or must not do whatever it is. And somebody else comes along and says, did they really say that? The, not only is it casting doubt, but it's making an alternative for, for an authority. Good point. And in this case, where the devil, through the serpent, says to Eve, did God really say that? He's presenting himself in a very subtle way as an alternative authority. Mm -hmm. I like that, because when you go back to what Steve read, where he uh, read in, uh, I think it was verse 4, he moves on from planting a seed of doubt to now making himself an authority. And he says, I say to you absolutely, or positively, you will not die. die. In other words, now Eve... And notice she's not called Eve here at this point in time. She's called the woman. He's saying to the woman, you now have to make a choice. You either believe what I've told you or you believe what God told you. What's your answer going to be? What are your actions going to be as a result of the mind decision that you've actually made? Mm. Any comments on that before we move on? Because I want to get to the fallout from this. Well, what Tim said before was quite interesting and important that up until this time Adam and Eve had no idea of evil and um, now they were finding evil, they were finding sin and um, it wasn't a happy experience for them. I guess they had no um, practical idea of evil but they certainly would have had a theoretical idea of evil um, because they knew what was good so if you know if you know what is good by implication you're going to know what is not good yeah but you don't have ha- you you can't have obviously experienced it yeah, so if i know what, what is you perfect beg your pardon what if you were perfect i mean they were created perfect that's true but but if, that, that doesn't matter if if you know the positive if you know that if you know a coin mm. if you know one side you know there's going to be something on the other side um you may not have experienced that something on the other side Mm-hmm. But you're going to know, at least in theory, that there's going to be something there. Does that make yeah. sense? So I'm sure that they yeah. would have had, they would have, I mean, you can't be asked not to disobey if you don't know what disobedience is. Yeah. But when God said to them, if you eat the fruit mm. from this particular tree, you will surely die. Did they have any any even remote in, uh, indication of what die meant? They didn't have anything around them to use as reference points. That's true, mm. but you would know that um, you would no longer exist. I think, of course, the other uh, angle I'm looking at from that particular bit is that, as as we know, God is love. There's no evil in God. He loves. So this, these people he made, they they would have had that love in them as well, I believe. Thank you, Ken. I think that's a good thought. Mm. Can you can you even get a, a glimpse of how God must have felt when they took this step? Must have broke his heart. Mm. 
Well, unfortunately, it comes back to what Stephen said earlier on. If we make something that we really uh, put a value on and we spent a lot of time doing it and we think it's perfect and something's wrong with it or it's damaged in some way, mm-hmm. it's really heartbreaking. But what makes it even more heartbreaking for God is because he is, uh, he can see into the future, he, he knew where this was going to lead mm-hmm. and the, uh, the terrible ramifications of sin. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on pretty quickly. Uh, to We're going to go down to verse 16, and now we're going to see the sentence that God has um, imposed, if you wish to use that term, on both the woman and the man. Uh, Len, can you read verse 16 for us, please? Yes, of course. To the woman, he, that's God, said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Um, that term desire in the Hebrew is rather interesting. It means a violent craving for or desire for. It's a particularly interesting term. Uh, Steve, have you got any comments on verse 16? Hmm. Well, I guess they hadn't experienced childbearing, at least as far as we can see from what's no, in the scripture. they hadn't experienced childbearing, <laughs> and they certainly hadn't experienced pain in childbearing, had yeah. they? Hmm. No. I remember when um, when my wife gave birth to our two children, um, we went for the epidural, and it worked extraordinarily well for the first one, but it didn't work so good for the, for second, the second one. one. And, and um, I got a small amount of what that pain was like as she squeezed my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's thank you, Steve, for sharing that. That's really good, Len. You well, all these things, including what comes after this verse, is really the consequences. This is what's yes. going to happen yeah, because you have chosen to disobey. But I don't see God as vindictive. And I think with all these things that um, in future when Eve produced children and women ever since, there's a lesson. This, this is what's happened because you've chosen to disobey. You could have avoided this if you had obeyed. But it was too late. Yeah. Um, another bit I wanted to just highlight sure. here was mm. the last bit where it says, Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Yes. I think many men in the world have taken this as to mean, mm. I am the boss, you are, you've got to do what I say. Now, I don't think that was God's intention here. Mm. I think God's intention was, um, that the the husband is to be the head of the family. He was the one who needs to take responsibility and the care of his family, primary care, I should say. It doesn't mean to say that the woman doesn't have any care, but the the husband is not to be the big boss, do what I say or else. No, because in the New Testament... Um, the Apostle Paul counseled husbands to love their wives, yes. to treat them properly. So those who think this means you can boss your wife around, she's got to obey you like a, a poor little servant, I don't think that was God's intention at all. Well, it's no, the same it word as in Genesis 1, so yes, I it presume is, so. Yes. We're told to rule over the fish of the birds and all the rest of it. 
and there's a steward element, a caring and a looking after element to that, and I a, think the a, same a applies protecting, here. protecting, preserving and nourishing yeah. element. Yeah. For, I guess for yeah. me, when I think yeah. about the consequences mm. in Genesis mm. 3, I think about the consequence that God had to kill to provide garments, yes. as the story goes, That's and right. then he drove them out of the garden. And for me, this is just increasing the sense of separation between humankind and God. It's all yeah. quite tragic. Mm. Notice what's happened so far. The relationship between the man and his wife, or now he's starting to be referred to as Adam for the first time. Mm. He only mentions the name Eve right at the end of the chapter. Do you know? Well, it starts in verse four, chapter 4, doesn't yeah. it? Because after she gives birth, yeah, he gives her the that's name. That's correct. The name Adam, does anyone have any idea what the name Adam means? Mm. Well, one of the things it it does mean is um, it means Adama, yes, which is spelt A-D-A-M-A-H, is basically another way of putting that is from the ground. Mm -hmm. Where was man made from? From the dust of the earth. Mm. The elements that the earth was made of. Okay, anyway, moving on. <laughs> He's spoken to Eve, but now he speaks to Adam. Um, verse 17 onwards. Um, Steve, could you read 17 to 19 for me, please? Yeah, what if I just skipped the bit yeah. where he speaks? No, no, um, that's cursed right. is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Well, okay. Now, I just picked something up this morning here that I, I got quite excited about. It was the second part of verse 18. Yours said, Steve, plants. Mine says, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Now, if you go back to Genesis 1, where God gave them their original diet, I'm just trying to find out whether I've got the verses that I can get to very quickly. Uh, can someone tell me very quickly what God originally gave them to eat? It's in verse 29. Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 29. I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Now there's an addition. Yes. There's a change in diet. Can you see this? Mm. <laughs> Something we haven't noticed before. I believe there was possibly a change in climate too, but uh, many people say at the flood that there was a change in climate, and there was, but um, I'm beginning to wonder whether it was earlier than this. This is what's called the first curse. The first curse was... Notice what God did not curse. God did not curse Adam and Eve, or man and woman. What did he curse? Cursed the earth. He cursed the earth. Okay, what did he say to Adam would be the result? Steve, you just read it. Essentially, in the sweat of your brow, you will yeah. eat... He said, in other words, you're going <laughs> to really sweat it out, mate, in order to make a living. <laughs> mm. Whereas before, it was meant to be a pleasure and a joy <clears throat> to be able to uh, till the earth and to look after God's creation. Now you're going to have to do it hard, do it tough. Brent, if I could just quickly yeah, add, sure. uh, I think it's uh, interesting, just in verse 30, it also said uh, that God would supply every green herb for meat for the animals so they yes. weren't meat eaters, they, they were vegetarian as well. That's, that's a very good point, Ken. All right, moving on quickly. <coughs> Unfortunately, um, we find that um, what was Adam's final result to be? He said you were taken from the dust of the ground. That he would return to the dust of the ground. Okay. Yeah. Chapter 4, very sad story. The story of Cain and Abel, basically, isn't it? 
And our time is uh, running out, listeners, but I do want to share a little area with you because it's it's particularly a verse that I believe applies to the rest of the Bible studies that we're going to be doing from here on. Um, it's the story um, of Cain and Abel, and very quickly, Len, um, how would you summarise the story of Cain and Abel without reading all the verses? <laughs> okay. Well, there were two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was the firstborn, Abel was the secondborn. They both made sacrifices <coughs> to the Lord. Uh, it appears that although we don't read it in the Bible, sacrifices were specified because of the life that Adam and Eve had forfeited through sinning. The, the acceptable sacrifices were sacrifice of animals, not fruit and vegetables. Correct. Uh, they both made the sacrifices. God accepted um, Abel's sacrifice of the animal and didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. Cain got jealous. He killed his own brother. What a blow to Adam and Eve who believed the lie, Thou shalt, you shall not surely die. Mm. And here they see their own son. So beside the earth being cursed, they have this to face. This is the consequence of you believing a lie. Mm. Couldn't have put it better myself, Len. But I do want to just have a look at verse 1 for a minute because if we go back to verse 1 and our time is nearly gone, uh, verse 1, Eve makes a statement. She says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, I've read a number of Bible commentaries on this. One of them at least suggests that she was maybe anticipating or expecting that this son of hers would be the one mentioned in Genesis 3, verse 15. Instead of that, he turned out to be the world's first murderer. Mm -hmm. Pretty sad, but... A good note, I think, for us to finish on today, and Ken, I'll get you to read those. If you would start at verse 9 and just read verse 9 and 10 for me. Chapter 4 now we are of Genesis. We're finishing on the, on the note because this sets the scene, I believe, for what we're going to study in future. So it's from 9 to... So chapter 4 of Genesis, and we're reading just verse 9 oh, and just verse 10. Line. And the Lord said unto Ken, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Because what we're going to be studying about in our series of Bible studies from here on is, are we our brother's keeper? And the unspoken answer here very definitely is, yes, that's right. we are our brother's keeper. I think that's probably a good place to stop. So as we explore this subject in detail from in our next series of Bible studies, I pray that God will bless us as we reflect on the fact that God made us to be interdependent. He made us indeed to be our brother's keeper. We'd just like to finish here with a prayer. And uh, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this wonderful opportunity to look into your word and to speak your word, Lord God, over the airwaves. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you may bless all the listeners and uh, give them the Holy Spirit. Lord God, to look into these things, that their brain may be awakened and they may sense and realize that there is a living God and he cares for them and wants to bless them in many ways. We just ask these blessings, Lord God, on all who hear these words in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.